We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. The Indiana Pacers select Paul George of Fresno State University. The Pacers select Reggie Miller of UCLA. The Indiana Pacers select Solomon Hill from the University of Arizona. The Indiana Pacers select Brandon Rush from the University of Kansas. The Indiana Pacers select Goga Bitaze from Tbilisi, Georgia. The Indiana Pacers select Roy Hibbert from Georgetown University. The Indiana Pacers select Miles Turner from the University of Texas. We are two weeks away from the NBA draft. Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace, a little special edition of the Prospect Chronicles. We're going to be joined once again today in our second segment by Richard Stamen to talk about two 3-and-D type of players, Corey Kispert from Gonzaga and Chris Duarte from Oregon. But joining me now as he does every single week, it's the one and only Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, we're hearing a lot of trade rumors involving the Pacers right as we speak. That we are, but I can't say that they're all good rumors, Alex. The latest has uh, the Houston Rockets trying to, quote, dangle Eric Gordon and uh, one of their picks, you know, potentially the, the 24th overall pick or the 23rd, you know, we'll see, uh, for, you know, the 13th and whatever it would be. I mean, look, we'd have to include some players in there to get up to Gordon's 19 to 20 million. It's just not appealing overall, but maybe that's just me. But what's your thoughts? On this <laughs> to me, it sounds like something that Houston wants more than the Pacers oh, yeah. want. Like, here, here's what I'll say. If the Pacers are truly interested in Eric Gordon, don't involve any picks. I mean, I think I think Lamb and Aaron Holiday for Gordon gets it done. However, I don't like that because it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it does tie up your cap. He does only have two guaranteed years left on his contract. I think the third year is partial guarantee. So there is that. But what I will say is if the Pacers are so enveloped with – adding a hometown hero. Let's just look at the hometown hero history for a second. The hometown hero in George Hill cost them Kawhi Leonard. By trading hometown hero George Hill to Utah and bringing in hometown hero Jeff Teague, that upset Paul George, which could have cost us possibly Paul George. So by trading for hometown heroes, we could have possibly lost, well, we, we did lose Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and we could have possibly lost Miles Turner from it for trading for Gordon Hayward. 
So, and I understand like that one to me doesn't sting nearly as much because Turner is not on the same level as a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George, but how sick would Pacer fans feel if they knew they traded away 13 <laughs> and Lamb and Aaron Holiday, whatever the salaries make to match up a trade to make it legal for Eric Gordon in 24. Pacer fans would be sick to their absolute stomach if 13 became something, whether he was on the Rockets or the Detroit Pistons. I was sick just with the recap that you provided of past hometown heroes. Look, it's been the ongoing joke for years that every single mock trade we see on the internet is someone, is the Pacers trying to bring some hometown hero home. Well, at this point, Alex, we were interested in Eric Gordon like five to 10 years ago. We're talking like, you know, two plus presidents ago. I mean, it's been that long since Eric Gordon was a player that you really wanted the Pacers to make a move for. It's obvious his best years are behind him. Look, and when you're talking about salary fillers, Lamb and Aaron Holiday, you'd still have to fill a little bit of salary, but whatever it is, I mean, I'm not offering that 13th pick in any scenario at all. I mean, it's one thing if they're going to include both the 23rd and the 24th pick just to take Eric Gordon, but at the same point, when you mentioned you know, it could be $60 million owed to him over the next three years. He's not the same player from the past. So I have no interest at all in making this trade. Yeah, and what's what's kind of making me laugh here a little bit is there's been some going back and forth on Twitter from Pacer fans and Rockets fans. And Roosh Williams, who is the host of the Noble and Roosh show, our friend Zach Noble, hosts that show, basically is just talking, you know, about Karis LeVert and saying he would rather have Lamb's money than paying Levert for the next two years and, and is kind of underselling Karis Levert. Like, not kind of, he is very much underselling very him. Much. Um, I, I went back at him. He said that Eric Gordon has been more efficient and is a more efficient player throughout his career than Karis Levert. It's like, okay, Eric Gordon had a couple of good seasons, but to me, Eric Gordon's always been kind of disappointing and he always leaves a lot to be desired. Like, I like Eric Gordon. I'm an IU guy, I'm an IU fan. I love the Indiana Hoosiers. And Eric Gordon's one year there was fun. But in all reality, while he's been a decent NBA player, I think Karis LeVert, the ceiling is much higher for him still to be moving forward. And number two, I think at this present moment right now, there is without a doubt in my mind, Karis LeVert is leaps and light years better than Eric Gordon as a player right now. It's not even up for debate. What this is, is this is the Rockets still trying to justify not wanting Karis LeVert and, and taking Oladipo by saying like, we're entering a rebuild. Like, I don't want that money. It's like, I saw in the comments over there, Levert is overpaid. It's like, Levert is not overpaid. He's right around about $18 million in the NBA. Like, you're talking about a guy who just had a career year after he beat cancer. I mean, it's like, no matter which way you're going to put it, Karis Levert is a really good player. And, and just like, at that point, I, no one's going to say, I would rather have Lamb because it's not like, Karis LeVert's making this astronomical amount of money. I mean, this man is, I would say, potentially underpaid because I think he's ready for a breakout year. I mean, we saw what he did under, you know, Bjorkren. Let's see what he can do under Rick Carlisle. So at this point, that those were just, however you're going to try and justify it as a Rockets fan, you should have traded for Karis LeVert in the first place. And he's not even on the table now. Yeah, I mean, one of the things was going back and forth was, oh, well, let it help the Rockets lose more games on having him. I said, you could have just easily set him out yeah. after he had the surgery to remove the cancer. Like, he didn't have to come back this year. I know it was a personal thing for him, and the Pacers were glad to get him back, but they didn't rush him into it. If the Rockets were truly trying to tank, number one, I don't think their roster was good enough that they would have won that many games had Karis LeVert been on their team because their roster overall was just 
it was just a mess. It was, it was full of, you know, giving guys opportunities. And, you know, they traded Victor Oladipo to the, uh, to the, to the heat for Kelly Olenek and Avery Bradley. And, you know, I, I brought that up and saying, well, you could have had Levert and, and flipped him for more than what you got for Oladipo. But apparently Kelly Olenek was so good in those games that he played that he's, he's might come back to the Rockets, which still doesn't justify what you're getting back in return. I think Kelly Olenek is a fine role player, but, but when I look at Karis Levert, he's just a guy that makes a ton of sense, you know, as, as a go-to guy on a team. I mean, he's a starting level player. He's a probably top two, top three on this Pacers team right now. So personally to me, like when this whole thing started because of this whole Eric Gordon rumor thing and trying to match salary, look, the Pacers would never in a million years give up the salary of Karis Levert plus pick 13 to move back 11 spots and take on Eric Gordon's putrid contract i'm sorry it just it's absolutely asinine to even be having this conversation it's smokescreen season so we're going to be seeing a ton of stuff flying around the pacers have a lot of assets that could be traded for they're a team that i think i've heard a lot of different national analysts say keep an eye on the pacers they could do something you know they got a lot of good contracts nothing really albatross nobody makes more than like 23 million 22 million whatever brogdon makes right now but yeah i'm just telling you Foch, like it is just comical to me i i mean Houston, the Houston Rockets fans, I mean, I get it. They're excited. They got the number two overall pick. They're trying to move up to get Cade. So whatever they can do to justify their front office, good for them. Go for it. But looking back, they failed in that trade for, for James Harden by taking it on Oladipo. And the bottom line is they can say they wanted to make cap space all they wanted. But didn't they offer Victor Oladipo a two-year extension? <laughs> Oh, yeah, they did. The most possible money they could offer Vic in a two-year extension, and he turned it down. So I want to say it was like close to $50 million. I think it was like two years, $48.5 million. So whatever narrative Rockets fans are trying to use to justify this, guys, just admit that you were on the wrong end of, of the deal. You should have taken, you know, the Harden deal before where with Philly. You know, then, then there's other talks that they had with Miami. What you ended up settling for, it was really bad. But let's not drag Karis Levert's name through the mud in the process. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it, it took until the buzzer beater of the trade deadline to flip Victor Oladipo. Nobody wanted him. No one. And I'm not trying to be a hater or anything like that. I like I like Victor Oladipo as a player. I thought he was really fun to watch when he was in Indiana. Things just didn't work out here. So Oladipo had way more injury questions to me than Karis Levert. Karis Levert's was... All of a sudden, you know, they trade for him and, you know, it finally comes back that he has cancer and then he's got to get this taken care of. Oladipo had an injury that hardly any player has come back from and been the same. I mean, it, it cost Charles Barkley his career. Tony Parker it was able to come back from it, but he didn't play much longer after that, and he wasn't the same. So to sit there and say that trading for Levert would have been more of an injury risk than trading for Oladipo, it's like I think that we're just looking through – you know, rose-colored glasses here and not looking at the full scope of things. Yeah, I, at this point, it's it's. I'm, I want to put that Oladipo chapter in the past. I think Rockets fans would love to, too. But, you know, I think there's always going to be a little bit of links between, you know, Karis LeVert and what could have been with the Rockets and all of that such. Absolutely. Well, I don't have anything else to say on this. I've already worked up enough, Foch. And so I'm excited to bring on our man, uh, Rich, and talk about Corey Kispert and Chris Duarte, some possible candidates the Pacers could take at 13, or if they possibly move back, you know, I, I think Duarte could possibly be on the board still. So I'm excited to hear what, what uh, Rich has to say about these guys, and uh, we'll be right back after this break. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right. Joining us now on the line to talk about two sharpshooters in this uh, this NBA draft class. We've got Richard Stamen. Richard, what's going on, man? Hey, it's good to be back. How are y'all doing? Doing great. Doing great. Rich, I think we'll give you the choice. Which prospect would you rather uh, talk about first? We have Corey Kispert and Chris Duarte. Hey, you know what? One of them compares more favorably to current slash uh, kind of not current uh, Indiana Pacer Doug McDermott. So let's start with the <laughs> one that does in uh, Corey Kispert. Sure thing. All right, Fletch, you asked the first question. So it's actually funny that you brought up Doug McDermott because, look, before we start, it's hard to not compare the two of them. Like, obviously, you know, it feels like a stereotypical, hey, you got a white senior shooter over here. But McDermott had a really good college career, and he's really carved out a good role in the NBA. So, you know, we'll see what what Kispert can carve out. But to start, basically, outside of being an elite shooter, do you think the rest of Corey Kispert's game is going to develop yeah, I mean, this is actually why, believe this or not, this is more to do with why I chose McDermott as a comparison than the shooting itself. It's because of the combination of shooting plus both of them this year took a jump as finishers or just mm-hmm. really being able to do anything within the three-point line. Kispert made a huge jump as a finisher, really being able to finish through traffic, around traffic. And that was most notable in his out-of-conference um, games, you know, which was a ridiculous, like, gauntlet it was kansas auburn uh iowa there were a few others and he looked so comfortable doing just finishing in traffic and that's something doug mcdermott took a jump in in that area as well this year so that that's actually the biggest reason why i chose them as comparisons they're shooters and they both recently taken that jump as finishers and i want to i want to talk about the defensive side of things because you know kisper to me was not a liability on the defensive end and in indiana we have this you know fear of drafting a white guy we've talked about it before in josh giddy conversations <laughs> that's just the fear of it with indiana fans are like oh, another white guy but i i think that kispert actually would make a lot of sense on a pacers team ready to win now but in terms of his on ball and off ball defense a lot of people seem to like it do you think that it will translate to the nba game 
Uh, I'm honestly not a big fan of his defense. I don't think he has recovery ability and he has short arms. It's a bad combination. Yeah. However, I don't think he is ever going to play an important part of a team defense in either way, unless he gets hunted. Like if he's not being hunted, it really doesn't matter because he's smart enough where he doesn't, you know, make stupid risks. He just kind of plays within himself off ball. It's when you get him isolated, that's when he's out of danger defensively, but any other time he's completely fine. You know, I mentioned before that he is, you know, viewed as an elite shooter in this draft, but Rich, he might be viewed as the best shooter in this draft. And do you think, despite being a senior, that ability to be such, you know, uh, an elite marksman might enable him to contribute right away to just about any team? Yeah, I think he's got one of the highest floors in the entire draft. You look at guys like Cam Johnson, who year one with Phoenix was a rotation player, was helping them win games. Granted, you know, they didn't make the playoffs last year, but I mean, we're seeing it now even where it's a little bit more amplified in year two. Corey Kispert's going to have a similar impact. He just makes the offense flow, especially if you have creators who on a team that really doesn't have a ton of shooting. We don't know, you know, McDermott, Holiday. We don't know if either of those guys will be back. Um, I, I think that it's a... Uh, you know, having him as the shooter really helps guys like Sabonis and, and Levert uh, get even better. I have to ask because, you know, throughout his four-year career, we've seen improvements from him each and every year. Do you think that he can continue to get better and better, or do you think that he's kind of reached where he'll probably be at as an NBA or as a, as a prospect, I should say, as a player coming into the NBA? Obviously, there's going to be opportunities to leap and get better, but do you think that ceiling for him is much high, higher than, than other players? Or do you think he's kind of just going to be what he is and that's a good three-point shooter? Well, I think it's he's going to have a similar career arc to like Doug McDermott, but starting at a higher point where, you know, he comes in, shoots, is shooting as far and away his most, you know, like only trait really that he does at a high level. And then you look at like how McDermott took a step finishing. I think that is an area that is legitimately – him growing in, not just getting better because the Gonzaga team was stacked. I, I think that's something where he can genuinely keep getting better, and that's going to be a difference maker for him. So, you know, when we talk about him being such a great shooter, one stat that I dug up that was kind of interesting was I read that he only took 30 jumpers off the dribble this season. Feels like a very low number, but he shot 43% on those. So, you know, that's very promising. Do you think he's going to be able to grow to be more than just a catch-and-shoot um, you know, player, or is he going to be able to put the ball on the floor a little bit? Because when you think of Duncan Robinson, he doesn't need to put the ball on the floor. But can Kispert grow into that type of role? Yeah, so I know I've seen a lot of those shots what feels like a lot of those shots off the dribble where he hides behind a screen. And when teams don't just like crowd him throughout the screen, he, that's where he operates as an off the dribble player. And, and maybe that is an area where he can get better because he can use, you know, two dribbles and kind of throw the defense off just enough to create his own shot. That's probably the best creation impact he has. Um, but his shooting portfolio off the catch and shoot is just so good that it almost doesn't matter a ton because he can come off of curls, you know, any off ball action, set his feet quick. He can do handoffs. It's kind of rare for a six, eight guy. Um, he can do just about anything on catch and shoot. So it really doesn't, it negates some of his weakness in terms of creating at least an open floor space off the dribble. Can you talk about his basketball IQ and how he helps facilitate the offense? Yeah, so one of my notes I have for him is that he's an adequate passer. It doesn't really stand out one way or another. And that's probably, like, I, I think that kind of just embodies what his basketball IQ is like. He knows 
how to make the right play and he knows how not to make the wrong play, but he never has any standout areas in terms of basketball IQ one way or another. It just, he doesn't make mistakes and he also doesn't really take risks. So it's kind of good. It's mostly a good thing. It can be a bad and sometimes, but I think for the most part, when you're a catch and shoot player right now, it's probably a pretty good thing. You know, depending on who you talk to, they might treat the word senior almost like the plague. But, you know, if you're looking at other you know players in that lottery area, would you rather roll the dice on more upside or go with a guy that, you know, like you mentioned before, has a really low floor where it feels that, uh, hey, he's ready to play right now? Yeah. So, I mean, if you take Indiana, I think they're trying to hold on to giving it a you know, a couple more shakeups and see what this roster can do and what the general core can do with Sabonis, Levert, and whoever else you want to throw in as the third guy. We kind of don't know. Uh, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I, I think if you want someone who can be an elite, have an elite trait from day one at probably the cheapest outcome possible to get him at, you take Kispert. It depends, obviously, who is on the board. I don't have any problem taking Kispert as high as like nine. So I'm a little bit biased. I think almost all these best shooters in the draft end up having all rookie caliber seasons. And that has to mean something, whether or not, you know, they sustain their ranking after one season through five or not, the drop-off is minimal. So it's like, you're getting a guy who's going to be competing for that, you know, same level of there, what, like seven guys, I guess is a better way to say it. He can be competing with seven guys for like the outside of the top five of the mm-hmm. class or top eight, I guess, in this class. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of reporting here in Indiana uh, from Jay Michael specifically of the star saying that a lot of people don't really think that after the top, you know, five, six players in the draft that, you know, seven to 25 is basically the range of like, you know, the, the same level of player. You know, you could trade back and still get the same level of player that you could get at 13. So that's why we kind of have shifted a little bit looking at maybe some guys that could fall back a little bit if the Pacers do trade back. But I'm just curious, you know, let's let's assume they stay at 13. Do you think that Corey Kispert is a good fit on Indiana, or do you like his fit on another team better? I mean, Indiana has always been one of the better fits just because, again, I love what he could do with Sabonis. Um, my dream, though, I'm going to be 100% honest, my dream for Indiana would be for them to take a swing at a higher ceiling guy and, like Golden State, take him at 14. Just beautiful basketball that way. It just, I think that's his best landing spot. But – you know, for Indiana, I think you can't go wrong at 13, especially like you said, I have it as around nine to 25 is interchangeable for me. So it's just a couple slots lower. And I think you can make an argument for anybody. And with that, you might as well just be swinging for the fences. You know, you mentioned Golden State and I can't be the only one, you know, with you as well that, that thinks that that's a perfect match. I mean, the three point shooting on that team just feels like an ideal fit. We've also heard the Pelicans at 10 could potentially be involved. But how would you also you know, grade maybe his ability to utilize screens and move around without the ball to get open? Yeah, uh, I mean, he moves well off ball. And I mean, what, Golden State's entire offense is based off off ball movement, is it not? Like, like that's mm-hmm. that's why I'm per- like in love with that fit. And really, I think you can put him next to just about even, like, because this isn't Golden State, but you can put him next to any ball-dominant player, like even one slot down from Golden State, Washington with Russ or Beal, and he fits perfectly. Yeah, no, I, I actually do like his fit a lot with Golden State. Imagine him running some... Uh, you know, pick and roll options out there with with Draymond with the second unit. I think he could really, you know, kind of have a similar, you know, role like Sabonis and uh, Doug McDermott out in Golden State with Draymond. I mean, Draymond's a great screener and just a great, you know, playmaker. So, I mean, that that is exciting. I mean, 
I'd be fine if Kisper came to Indiana, especially if, you know, he fits right away and wants to play. But I'm just curious overall, Corey Kispert is, is his game, you know, good enough, I guess you could say to be drafted in that seven to nine range that you're talking about. Could you see a team maybe moving up a little bit or, or taking him a little bit early, just kind of, you know, because of what he can provide similar to your Cam Johnson uh, comparison with Phoenix. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he goes really before nine is again, the earliest I would take him. I think um, that just some of the teams in that range, you look at, Orlando doesn't really benefit from that golden state, maybe at seven, but I think they would trade down with like Sacramento or new Orleans, if they wanted them that bad. I, I just, again, it comes down to the fact that these seniors best shooters in the class are almost always all rookie players. If you're a team needing an immediate impact, wanting to make the playoffs, if you're trying to jump from lottery to the play in at the least Kispert is a strong option. And again, I'm going to go back to golden state because they have two times to do this. They can get, Kispert at 14 or even whatever it is number they pick at, they can do it twice and get him and a star upside player. Like they have a lot of options to go with here. If they do keep their picks, I, I do think they can go with a high upside pick at seven. And then if Kispert's there at 14, it feels like a great pick. Um, you know, I've also read that this is a guy that, Hey, potentially if everything works out, you think could maybe even develop into a 50, 40, 90 player, which you never want to toss around because a couple of years ago, that had only been done by a handful of people. I know we're starting to see it a little bit more, but do you see his ceiling as kind of just a role player that can have a lengthy career, or is there a bit more upside to him? I mean, I think, yeah, he's probably going to be a role player. Mm -hmm. I'd be pretty surprised if, if he is more than that. And I, I do agree because of the shot selection he's going to be having at the NBA. There, It's actually set up on a silver platter for him to be able to get to a 50, 40, 90, it's literally just about makes and misses at that point. But I, that sounds like the most simple analysis, but it is what it is. All right. Well, let's transition over to our next guy, Chris Duarte, uh, fighting ducks there in Oregon. He is another guy that shot terrific last season, 42.4% on 144 three-point attempts for Oregon. Can we talk a little bit about his overall game and, you know, maybe compare him a little bit to Corey Kispert? Yeah, so they're different for multiple reasons. One, um, while they are both shooters, you know, one, let's just start with the simple stuff. Defense. Defense is far and away a difference maker. Duarte is a two-way shooter. He can impact, guy, uh, impact plays on the defensive end, both as forcing turnovers and just shutting guys down. He's not going to be necessarily a stopper. Uh, but his chances at ever becoming negative as a defender are incredibly low. In fact, I'd be surprised if he ever really dips below below average as an NBA defender. So that's what, that's a huge difference. And then also he can play making, you know, because he's a guard. Just inherently, there's other things he has as such as like pick and roll ball handling. So you know, while other players, for instance, maybe Kispert have gotten you know ripped for being a senior, Rich. Chris Duarte, he's 24 years old. I mean, that sounds like much older than other seniors. I know he played on the JUCO level for a couple of years. I mean, are you, are you worried that this could be someone who maybe he his ceiling isn't much better than this? Or is this a guy who's really just getting started? Yeah, I think he's kind of near his ceiling. But it's also not a bad thing because if you put him as a free agent right now, he'd probably get a decent amount of money. So it's a, it's a good trade-off. Well, the Pacers have you know, been linked to Chris Duarte from J. Michael. And in his report, he said that Duarte, you know, has been kind of hard to get in for a workout because he doesn't think he'll fall below, I believe it was 15 or 16 that was reported. So 
Do you think that he'll go that high in the draft, or where do you think he falls and where would be a good landing spot for the Pacers if they did trade back? Yeah, so I know he didn't go to the combine because of thinking, you know, like the rumor is when that stuff happens that he got a promise and he wants his range to be very high. But at the end of the day, until it happens, I'm not believing that GMs and NBA teams have learned their lessons from Cameron Johnson, from Brandon Clark, from Desmond Bain, whoever you want to name it, these older guys in any way they don't learn. And until they do, you know, then maybe I'll start giving it realistic consideration, but it's just, it's almost like a grass is greener on the other side kind of thing where it's like, sure, we have this surefire thing. We know what we're getting. This guy's going to stick, but we could also just get like an ex all-star this guy because Duarte very unlikely to ever be an all-star. And I think that appeal, it's just a mindset thing. I'm just very hesitant to think he'll actually go in the lottery. That being said, he, there's a very strong case for him deserving to be in the lottery. Those two different subjects. I listened to a podcast earlier today where Chris guaranteed that he'll be a lottery pick. So the confidence is sky high there. So, you know, it's very interesting to see because I think at age 24, this is probably someone who could have benefited for working out for a few more teams, but Rich, I also think he's one of the players that benefited the most from coming back last year. He rose his, you know, shooting percentages from 41% from the field to 53% and his three-point percentage from 33 to 42. I mean, is this kind of like a a one-year wonder type or is this a guy that that you think can be a really good three-point shooter on the next level? No, I do think the fool's gold comment is a little bit warranted to an extent. But watching him this year versus last year is just you see what a difference of it, it looked. You could tell in the during the pandemic that he was really working on his jump shot because every his follow through is much crisper, much more consistent. Um, he really didn't feel like he didn't you know miss just as nearly simple shots. Like it's a matter of making and missing open shots, and you know we say it, it's a make or miss league. It's a make or miss game. And raising it 9% this year was not a fluke. I, I really don't think so. And especially when he shot pretty much a very similar percentage from the free throw line, the touch has always been there. It's just about been getting consistent. And I think he got consistent this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of enamored with his game. I really think that he could be a plug and play guy right away. And that could make some sense because I feel like we talked about Kisper falling to 14, in the golden state. I feel like Duarte could be somebody that goes to Golden State and possibly Washington because I know they're still trying to win now with Bradley Beal. And I think Duarte, like you said, is someone you could plug in right away. I think they do kind of have a hole there at that small four position. So it's like if he really wants to go, uh, you know, 14, 15, I mean, that could make a lot of sense. I'm just I'm just not sure why, you know, he's projected by most people, you know, you know, 15 or 15 to 25 range. I mean, much lower than the lottery. Uh, most drafts that I've seen are like the 19 to 25 range. So personally, is it, is it really just because he's going to be 24 by the beginning of the uh, the NBA season? I think it's the combination is. of him being 24, uh, first year doing these numbers um, like we just talked about. And then also the fact that he's just such a simple player, like his handle is ridiculously simple. He doesn't break guys down. He doesn't, you know, make any ankle breaking moves. He's not like overly athletic, although it's a little bit underrated in that area. Um, And his finishing comes and goes, but I think it's all of that combination. It's just like, it's not flashy enough. And I think that really does matter. I personally think he doesn't go before Indiana. uh, And I also have till the 25 range. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I think it's just kind of where the league is, where, again, like I said, until they prove otherwise, you know, I just don't think teams learn. 
I, I do see him just outside the lottery. When you mentioned that, you know, he doesn't have really, you know, anything too flashy. I mean, I've seen on some fast breaks, you know, he's been able to finish it nicely. But this is a guy that only averaged three attempts at the line last year. Does that worry you a little bit when he was 23 years old playing against guys that were, you know, anywhere from, you know, three to five years younger? No, but I do think that kind of feeds the basic handle point, though, that, like, yeah. it just – he doesn't blow by guys to get to the rim where they have to foul the same issue kind of seemed. I, I can't remember how many um, attempts each of them have, but that same sentiment can be kind of shared with Desmond Bain where last year he didn't, I think he only took like 80 free throws. And I think that's actually what Duarte had to um, No, So actually I pulled it up. Duarte took 20 more free throws this year. I don't think it matters a ton. I think it's just the way that they're, I think it, more reflects on their play style than skill or inability. So I got to ask you, you know, defensively, he's a good on-ball defender, but how is he when it comes to switches? He can hold his own. I don't think he'll ever be able to guard more than a th like a small forward, obviously, but you don't want it necessarily. Um, and then he's also probably going to get blown by against quicker defenders. So or, I'm sorry, quicker ball handlers like like John Wall or someone like that, which is an unfair, you know, because he blows by most people, but he has no chance <laughs> yeah. John Wall. No, that's definitely going to be tough against speedier guards. Um, where do you see the perfect situation for Chris? I put honestly, I put three really good fits, and they're all in that 13 to 25 range. Number one is Indiana. I think it's a perfect fit. You have uh, one of my comparisons for him is Brogdon, so you can't have enough of those guys, even if they're you know, even if you clone them, it's still a good thing. Like they don't, you know, he wouldn't take away from Brogdon. Um, then the Lakers at 22 just fits everything they need as another shooter off ball and a defender. And the Atlanta Hawks next to Trey Young. Those are the three areas I, or three teams, excuse me, I see as perfect fits for him. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, that, those are all teams that could just, you know, continue to upgrade at that position. And I'm, I'm curious because I don't want to, get too far away from Duarte and Kispert, but I'm just curious, are there any other shooters in this draft that, you know, the Pacers could possibly trade back in the draft that you think would be, oh, that makes sense why they traded back. Like, I, I know there's been a lot of hype recently around Trey Murphy the third. Is there any other guys that could be, you know, a three and D type of player that could play right away? So I don't think outside of Murphy, uh, and I'm double checking my board before I say something potentially really stupid. Um, I don't really think there's a ton of three and D guys that would be going first round. I actually have, so I have 37 first round grades this year. Um, oh, wow. So it's, it's a little bit extra And Trey Murphy's my 35th ranked player. He's one of the last ones just because I don't think he does anything besides literally shoot and defend. Um, but another guy who I would go as high to say, like I would take him at 30 would be Isaiah Livers. He's not much of a defender, but he's a really good rebounder and excellent shooter. And he can kind of create for others in very limited space. Is there like a, an underrated part of Duarte's game that you think uh, might actually shine a bit more than people are giving him credit for? I think the pick and roll is going to be one. And then honestly, finishing off of cuts is going to be really good, which is a big reason why I put Indiana as a fit because, I mean, Sabonis, anytime you're playing with him, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a must is being able to cut. And also – it's not like Indiana was bad there. They were, I think, third best is what I remember seeing as cutters, which I'm assuming that adds up to the eye test. And then you add an already great cutter there. It makes move, making moves a little bit easier. And even if you run it back with the same team, it makes it even better.
Bachi, did you have any more questions about Duarte before I change subjects? No, I didn't. I okay. Yeah, so I, I got to ask you, Rich, because I know we talked last time. I think it was off here. Maybe we said we got to have you come on and talk about the second-round guys. And I, I'll just be honest. I haven't been spending any time looking at guys that could be available. The Pacers have picked 54 in the last pick, 60. Are there any guys in the second round that you think would be worth taking a risk at in that 54 to 60 range? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a deep class. I think my draftable range extends to about like almost 80. Like it's a ridiculously good class. Oh, wow. Um, I was expecting so many withdrawals because usually it stops around like 65. I'm like, all right, it's getting to be a stretch. But this year, everybody stayed in. It was really weird. Um, there's a few guys. So what? give me like a couple types of players or are you just looking for anything? Anything. Because in the second okay. round, I really think you could just – bank on anything at that point anything yeah anyone who can ever contribute a meaningful minute i think is something that we're interested in (laughs) so there's a few guys i'll start with um an overseas player he's from france played at mega in serbia it's one of the biggest european clubs malcolm casalon from uh i said from france he's a guard 19 years old has been in draft conversations for years now this is only his second eligible draft eligible one um really good athlete really good handle can finish can pass um has a good jump shot but really needs to get better at you know using his right hand and being a consistent shooter but as a 19 year old who's already been playing pro for a while he's a really good upside play as a combo guard you could also look at joe Wieskamp. i think he's might be getting out of the range that the pacers could be in because he was as of a few weeks ago right in that wheelhouse but i think he's starting to climb towards the 30s and 40s and i've seen even a poll to reference how good of a shooter he is um, because I think a lot of people think he's like Duncan Robinson, just the presentation of everything, um, makes him similar, but someone said, would you rather have Corey Kispert at like 15 or Joe Wieskamp in the forties? And everybody put Joe Wieskamp in the forties. Like, so people are very high on him. Great shooter. Um, can also go back to Malcolm Kazlan's teammate, Philip Petrusev. He's a point forward to an extent, really good at Gonzaga last year, like incredible push shot, the same shot Rashawn Holmes loves, uh, excuse me, Rashawn Holmes loves. He has that down. He's just really sound offensively. Uh, and then one other guy who I really like that I think could be there at 54 is the SEC player of the year, Herb Jones. Really good passer, excellent defender, one of the very best defenders in the class, and improves his jump shot from 7% last year from 3 to 35% on similar volume. So he really worked hard on that, and that's something that you know might help down the road. Uh, I mean, everyone's looking for the next Duncan Robinson, you know, a a true marksman that went undrafted. So that's why Kispert at 13, I'm thinking, man, there's got to be some better shooters, you know, later in the draft. But what would be maybe the the top name of someone that you don't think is going to get drafted that could end up being contributing to, to, you know, a team next year? I think it's Jericho Sims. And actually, I want him on Indiana because we saw Rick Carlisle gloves. Uh, Dwight Powell I know he still has a soft spot for him and Jericho Sims is a four-year guy who was an energy big pretty much but he also defended every position he shut down Davion Mitchell on an isolation uh, one of my favorite plays of the year you get him who I call Dwight Powell with defense that guy has a rotation (laughs) spot immediately which is a hugely important player I mean we saw Mads fans for whatever reason denied this but Dwight Powell was one of the more important players over the last five years for the Mavs, which is good and bad. But for the most part, when like when they had Luca, he was huge for him because he was that that gravity. Uh, I forget what the proper term is. I think it's vertical gravity or something like that. But those guys matter on winning teams. So I would say Jericho Sims is my pick. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I I, uh, I know he tested well at the combine, so just an athletic freak. And the Pacers are known to like Texas centers. Look at Miles Turner. So that can make some sense. My last question for you, because I'm a Big Ten guy, there was a guy that dominated the Big Ten. It was Luca Garza. I, I got to ask, you know, clearly he was really good in college, but why do you think his game won't translate? Or, or do you think it will translate to the NBA? I'm torn. Um, I do tend to give the benefit of the doubt to hard workers like him, uh, just because actually Dwight Powell is someone who has worked a lot. I did not mean to make this a Dwight Powell podcast, but. Um, it's okay. It's Mavs draft for a reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I mean, hard workers, hard workers pan out. Like, I mean, that's just when you're that skilled, you're player of the year and you're a hard worker. I don't know. It's a good combination. I think he has to get better at shooting the three to stick. I don't, you know, the defense will always be an issue. It's just can the three-point shooting negate it. Do you think we're going to see the national player of the year go undrafted? No. I think he gets drafted in the 50s or 40s. All right. Well, that wraps it up for our conversation on draft stuff. So, Rich, thanks so much for coming on. Where can the people find you at? And do you have anything exciting that you want to plug before we sign off here? Yeah. um, I do locked on NBA draft every Tuesday. And pretty much anything that comes my way, I post through at Mavs Draft on Twitter. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, Richard, thank you so much for coming on and uh, we'll maybe get you on next week to look at a couple more prospects that could be in that 13 range. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Fachi, well, that wraps it up for another episode of Setting the Pace. What'd you think of this version of the Prospect Chronicles that we did? Oh, very interesting. Talking about two seniors, you know, two guys that I'm really not sold on at pick 13 for the Pacers. I do think they are more NBA ready players that can contribute from day one, which we've covered some players that, hey, it could be a year, it could be two years. So you're getting a mixed bag of all different, uh, you know, ready to contribute guys. Yeah, like I like Duarte a lot, actually. I think I like him just a little bit over Kispert. Um, I think Kispert's probably the better offensive player, but I think Duarte gives you more on the defensive side of things. Yes. So that's why I'm a little bit higher on him. I, but I would say that I would probably still have Kispert higher on my big board just because I think overall, I think he might be the better talent. But in terms of like winning right now um, and, and price, I would move back from 13 if I could and, and take Duarte if that's the guy that I really like. But I, I don't think like, if there's other guys there, like with high potential, like Isaiah Williams, it's just it'd be really hard for me to pass on them and take a Corey Kispert at 13. Yeah, I mean, Duarte being 24 years old, I mean, it is significantly older than some other players in the draft. So I think what you what you saw last year is probably going to be what you're going to get, uh, what you're going to you know get on the court for the next few years. You know, if if you know if everything goes well. Kispert, he's going to be higher on everyone's you know mock board. He he just really is. I just think that that's someone who could fit a lot of teams right now. So both players really interesting. I mean, if the Pacers are to trade back, then Duarte, yeah, he very well could be in the conversation. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think he's a trade back candidate. Yeah, so there's probably a couple of few guys that I think. I mean, if you look at who they brought in today with Sharif Cooper, I thought it was really interesting. 
uh, a lot of like second round talents. I mean, not a lot of first round talent there with Sharif Cooper. So I'm sure he kind of showcased uh, what he can do against some of those guys. But um, if you haven't already, make sure you check out the Sharif Cooper podcast. It's on our feed, wherever you can get your podcast at, just type in setting the pace and you can find that Sharif Cooper interview. Fachi, we also are scheduled to talk with another prospect. Do you want to reveal who it is or do you want to wait? Uh, you know what? I'm going to reveal it because I, I, I love the listeners. So we have coming on Jaden Springer, and I could not be more excited. Another guy projected in that top 20. So, hey, that's someone who's shooting up some boards and also worked out for the Pacers. Yep. And Jaden Springer, that podcast will be released on Monday morning. So be on the lookout for that. And this one will get you through the weekend. So, Fachi, where can the people find us at? On social media. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the page three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C T I. And you can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And if you're a fan of the Indiana Pacers and you're excited for the draft being just two weeks away, say these three words Let's go, Pacers! And the Pacers select Reggie Miller of UCLA. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.